Chapter Ten, Part Two, of the Colored Cadet at West Point, Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Ashen Flipper, U.S.A., First Graduate of Color from the U.S. Military Academy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, The Colored Cadet at West Point. Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Ashen Flipper, U.S.A., First Graduate of Color, from the U.S. Military Academy. Chapter 10, Part 2. Treatment. There are prejudices of caste as well as prejudices of race, and I am most unwilling to believe it possible that any officer would treat with injustice a colored cadet who, in true gentlemanly qualities, intelligence, and assiduousness, equals or excels certain white ones who are treated with perfect equanimity with me it has not been so i have been treated as i would wish to be in the majority of cases there have been of course occasions where i fancied wrong had been done me i expected to be ill-treated i went to west point fully convinced that i'd have a rough time of it who that has read the many newspaper versions of the treatment of colored cadets and of smith in particular would not have been so convinced when therefore any affront or anything seemingly of that nature was offered me i have been disposed naturally i think to unduly magnify it because i expected it this was hasty and unjust and so i admit now that i am better informed what was apparently done to incommode or discourage me has been shown to have been done either for my own benefit or for some other purpose, not to my harm. In every single instance I have, after knowing better the reason for such acts, felt obliged to acknowledge the injustice of my fears. At other times I have been agreeably surprised at the kindnesses shown me both by officers and cadets, and have found myself at great loss to reconcile them with acts I had already adjudged as malicious wrongs. I have, too, been particularly careful not to fall into an error, which, I think, has been the cause of misfortune to at least one of the cadets of color. If a cadet affront another, if a white cadet insult a colored one, for instance, the latter can complain to the proper authorities, and, if there be good reason for it, can always get proper redress. This undoubtedly gives the consolation of knowing that the offense will not be repeated, but beyond that I think it a great mistake to have so sought it. A person who constantly complains, even with some show of reason, loses more or less the respect of the authorities, and the offenders, while they refrain from open acts, do nevertheless conduct their petty persecutions in such a manner that one can shape no charge against them, and consequently finds himself helpless. One must endure these little tortures, the sneer, the shrug of the shoulder, the epithet, the effort to avoid, to disdain, to ignore, and thus suffer. For any of them are, to me at least, far more hard to bear than a blow. A blow I may resist or ignore. In either case I soon forget it, but a sneer, a shrug of the shoulder, mean more. Either is a blow at my sensitiveness, my inner feelings, and which through no ordinary effort of mind, can be altogether forgotten. It is a sting that burns long and fiercely. How much better to have ignored the greater offenses which could be reached, 
and to have thus avoided the lesser ones which nothing can destroy how much wiser to stand like a vast front of fortification on some rocky moral height absolutely unassailable passively resisting alike the attack by open assault and the sure one by regular approaches the assault can be repulsed but who can who has ever successfully stopped the mines and the galleries through which an entrance is at length forced into the interior we cannot expect the sons to forget the lessons of the sires but we have a right to demand from the general government the rooting out of all snobbery at west point whether it is of that kind which sends poor white boys to coventry because they haven't a family name or wealth or whether it be that smallest meanest and shallowest of all aristocracies the one founded upon color if the government is not able to root out these unrepublican seeds in these hotbeds of disloyalty and snobbery let congress shut up the useless and expensive appendages and educate its officers at the colleges of the country where they may learn lessons in true republican equality and nationality the remedy lies with congress a remonstrance at least should be heard from the colored members of congress who are insulted whenever a colored boy is ill-treated by the students or the officers of these institutions so far from being discouraged by defeats the unjust treatment meted out to the young men should redouble the efforts of others of their class to conquer this new bastille by storm it should lead every colored congressman to make sure that he either sends a colored applicant or a white one who has not the seeds of snobbery or caste in his soul i shall consider this last clause at the end of this chapter where i shall quote at length the article from which this passage is taken if i may be pardoned an opinion on this article i do not think the true remedy lies with congress at all i do not question the right to demand of congress anything but i do doubt the propriety or need of such a proceeding of course in the case under consideration as to that kind which sends poor white boys to coventry because of their poverty etc i can say with absolute truthfulness it no longer exists when it did exist the power to discontinue it did not lie with congress congress has no control over personal whims or prejudices but i make a slight mistake there was a time when influence wealth or position was able to secure a cadetship at that time poor boys very rarely succeeded in getting an appointment and when they did they were most unmercifully cut by the snobs of aristocracy who were at the academy then the remedy did lie with congress the appointments could have been so made as to exclude those snobs whose only recommendation was their position in society and so also as to admit boys who were deserving although they were perhaps poor this remedy has been made and all classes white whether poor or rich influential or not are on terms of absolute equality but for that other kind the one founded upon color congress has no remedy no more than for fanaticism or something of that kind this article also tells us that the government has been remiss in not throwing around them the protection of its authority i disdainfully scout the idea of such protection if my manhood cannot stand without a governmental prop then let it fall if i am to stand on any other ground than the one white cadets stand upon then i don't want the cadetship 
if i cannot endure prejudice and persecutions even if they are offered then i don't deserve the cadetship and much less the commission of an army officer but there is a remedy a way to root out snobbery and prejudice which but needs adoption to have the desired effect of course its adoption by a single person myself for instance will not be sufficient to break away all the barriers which prejudice has brought into existence i am quite confident however if adopted by all colored cadets it will eventually work out the difficult though by no means insoluble problem and give us further cause for joy and congratulations the remedy lies solely in our case with us we can make our life at west point what we will we shall be treated by the cadets as we treat them of course some of the cadets are low they belong to the younger classes and good treatment cannot be expected of them at west point nor away from there the others presumably gentlemen will treat everybody else as becomes gentlemen or at any rate as they themselves are treated for as josh billings quaintly tells us a gentleman can't hide his true character any more than a loafer can prejudice does not necessarily prevent a man's being courteous and gentlemanly in his relations with others if then they be prejudiced and treat one with ordinary civility or even if they let one severely alone is there any harm done is such a course of conduct to be denounced religiously yes but in the manner of everyday life and its conventionalities i say not by any means i have the right no one will deny it of choosing or rejecting as companions whomsoever i will if my choice be based upon color am i more wrong in adopting it than i should be in adopting any other reason it may be an unchristian opinion or fancy that causes me to do it but such opinion or fancy is my own and i have a right to it no one objects to prejudice as such but to the treatment it is supposed to cause if one is disposed to ill-treat another he'll do it prejudiced or not prejudiced only low persons are so disposed and happily so for west point and indeed for the whole country the system of competitive examination for admission so largely adopted within the past few years in many of our large cities has resulted in recruiting the corps with lads of bright intellect and more than ordinary attainments while the strict physical examination has rigorously excluded all but those of good form and perfect health the competitive system has also given to the academy students who want to learn instead of lads who are content to scramble through the prescribed course as best they can escaping being found a cadet term equivalent to the old college word plucked by merely a hair's breadth the old way of getting rid of the rough uncouth characters was to find them few very few of them ever got into the army now they are excluded by the system of competitive examination even from entering the military academy and if they should succeed in getting to west point they eventually fail since men with no fixed purpose cannot graduate at west point now if the colored cadets be not of this class also then their life at west point will not be much harder than that of the others the cadets may not associate but what of that am i to blame a man who prefers not to associate with me if that be the only charge against him then my verdict is for acquittal 
though his conduct arises from to us false premises it is to his sincere convictions right and we would not in the slightest degree be justified in forcing him into our way of looking at it in other words the remedy does not lie with congress the kind of treatment we are to receive at the hands of others depends entirely upon ourselves i think my life at west point sufficiently proves the truth of this assertion i entered the academy at a time when as one paper had it west point was a hotbed of disloyalty and snobbery a useless and expensive appendage i expected all sorts of ill-treatment and yet from the day i entered till the day i graduated i had not cause to utter so much as an angry word i refused to obtrude myself upon the white cadets and treated them all with uniform courtesy i have been treated likewise it simply depended on me what sort of treatment i should receive i was careful to give no cause for bad treatment and it was never put upon me in making this assertion i purposely disregarded the instances of malice etc mentioned elsewhere for the reason that i do not believe they were due to any deep personal convictions of my inferiority or personal desire to impose upon me but rather were due to the fear of being cut if they had acted otherwise our relations have been such as any one will readily observe that even officially they would have been obliged to recognize me to a greater or less extent or at the expense of their consciences ignore me they have done both as circumstances and not inclination have led them to do a rather unexpected incident occurred in the summer of seventy three which will show perhaps how intense is that gravitating force if i may so term it which so completely changes the feelings of the plebes and even cadets who when they reported were not at all prejudiced on account of color it was rather late at night and extremely dark i was on guard and on post at the time approaching the lower end of my post number five i heard my name called in a low tone by some one whom i did not recognize i stopped and listened the calling was repeated and i drew near the place whence it came it proved to be a cadet a classmate of mine and then a sentinel on the adjacent post number four we stood and talked quite a while as there was no danger either of being seen by other cadets an event which those who in any manner have recognized me have strenuously avoided or hived standing on post it was too dark he expressed great regret at my treatment hoped it would be bettered assured me that he would ever be a friend and treat me as a gentleman should another classmate told me at another time in effect the same thing i very naturally expected a fulfilment of these promises but alas for such hopes they not only never fulfilled them but treated me even as badly as all the others one of them was assigned a seat next to me at table he would eat scarcely anything and when done with that he would draw his chair away and pretend to be imposed upon in the most degrading manner possible the other practised similar manoeuvres whenever we fell in at any formation of company or section they both called me nigger or blank nigger as suited their inclination yet this ought i verily believe to be attributed not to them but to the circumstances that led them to adopt such a course 
On one occasion, however, one of them brought to my room the integration of some differential equation in mechanics which had been sent me by our instructor. He was very friendly then, apparently. He told me upon leaving, if I desired any further information, to come to his house, and he would give it. I observed that he called me Mr. Flipper. One winter's night, while on guard in barracks during supper, a cadet of the next class above my own stopped on my post and conversed with me as long as it was safe to do so. He expressed, as all have who have spoken to me, great regret that I should be so isolated, asked how I got along in my studies, and many other like questions. He spoke at great length of my general treatment. He assured me that he was wholly unprejudiced and would ever be a friend. He even went far enough to say, to my great astonishment, that he cursed me and my race among the cadets to keep up appearances with them, and that I must think none the less well of him for so doing. It was a sort of necessity, he said, for he would not only be cut, but would be treated a great deal worse than I was if he should fraternize with me. Upon leaving me, he said, I'm blank sorry to see you come here to be treated so, but I am glad to see you stay. Unfortunately, the gentleman failed at the examination, then not far distant, and of course did not have much opportunity to give proof of his friendship. And thus, the walk, the words, the gesture could supply, the habit mimic, and the mind belie. When the plebes reported in 76 and were given seats in the chapel, three of them were placed in the pew with myself. We took seats in the following order, viz. first the commandant of the pew, a sergeant, and a classmate of mine, then a third classman, myself, and the plebes. Now this arrangement was wholly unsatisfactory to the third classman, who turned to the sergeant and asked of him to place a plebe between him and myself. The sergeant turned toward me, and with an angry gesture ordered me to get over there. I refused on the ground that the seat I occupied had been assigned me, and I therefore had no authority to change it. Near the end of the service the third classman asked the sergeant to tell me to sit at the further end of the seat. He did so. I refused on the same ground as before. He replied, Well, it don't make any difference. I'll see that your seat is changed. I feared he would go to the cadet quartermaster, who had charge of the arrangement of seats, and have my seat changed without authority. I reported to the officer in charge of the new cadets and explained the whole affair to him. You take the seat, said he, assigned you in the guardhouse. The plan of the church, with names written on the pews, was kept here, so that cadets could consult it and know where their seats were, and if anybody wants you to change it, tell them I ordered you to keep it. The next Sabbath I took it. I was ordered to change it. I refused on the authority just given above. The sergeant then went to the commandant of cadets, who by some means got the impression that I desired to change my seat. He sent for me, and emphatically ordered me to keep the seat which had by his order been assigned me. Thus the effort to change my seat, made by the third classman through the sergeant, but claimed to have been made by me, failed. It was out of the question for it to be otherwise. If the sergeant had wanted the seat himself, 
he would in all probability have got it because he was my senior in class and lineal rank but the third classman was my junior in both and therefore could not by any military regulation get possession of what i was entitled to by my superior rank and the effort to do so must be regarded a marvelous display of stupidity or a belief on the part of the cadet that i could be imposed upon with impunity simply because i was alone and had shown no disposition to quarrel or demand either real or imaginary rights while in new york during my furlough summer of seventy five i was introduced to one of her wealthy bankers we conversed quite a while on various topics and finally resumed the subject on which we began viz west point he named a cadet whom i shall call for convenience john and asked if i knew him i replied in the affirmative after asking various other questions of him his welfare etc he volunteered the following bit of information oh yes said he i've known john for several years he used to peddle newspapers around the bank here i was agreeably surprised when i heard he had been appointed to a cadetship at west point the boys who come in almost every morning with their papers told me john was to sell me no more papers his mother has scrubbed out the office here and cleaned up daily for a number of years john's a good fellow though and i'm glad to know of his success this information was to me most startling there certainly was nothing dishonorable in that sort of labor nay even there was much in it that deserved our highest praise it was honest humble work but who would imagine from the pompous bearing assumed by the gentleman that he ever peddled newspapers or that his mother earned her daily bread by scrubbing on her knees office floors and how does this compare with the average negro it is not to me very pleasant to thus have another's private history revealed but when it is done i can't help feeling myself better in one sense at least than my self-styled superiors i certainly am not really one thing and apparently another the distant haughtiness assumed by some of them and the constant endeavor to avoid me as if i were a stick or a stone the veriest poke of creation had no other effect than to make me feel as if i were really so and to discourage and dishearten me i hardly know how i endured it all so long if i were asked to go over it all again even with the experience i now have i fear i should fail i mean of course the strain on my mind and sensitiveness would be so great i'd be unable to endure it there is that in every man it has been said either good or bad which will manifest itself in his speech or acts keeping this in mind while i constantly study those around me i find myself at times driven to most extraordinary conclusions if some are as good as their speech then if i may be permitted to judge they have most devoutly observed that blessed commandment honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the lord thy god giveth thee in that they have profited by their teaching both mentally and morally on the other hand we hear from many the very worst possible language some make pardonable errors while others make blunders for which there can be no excuse save ignorance judging their character by their speech what a sad condition must be theirs and more what a need for missionary work this state of affairs gives way in the second and often in the first year 
to instruction and discipline. West Point's greatest glory arises from her unparalleled success in polishing these rough specimens and sending them forth officers and gentlemen. No college in the country has such a heterogeneous conglomeration, to quote Dr. Johnson, of classes. The highest and lowest are represented. The glory of free America, her recognition of equality of all men, is not so apparent anywhere else as at West Point. And were prejudice entirely obliterated, then would America, in truth, be that utopia of which so many have but dreamed. It is rapidly giving way to better reason, and the day is not far distant when West Point will stand forth as the proud exponent of absolute social equality. Prejudice weakens, and ere long will fail completely. The advent of general education sounds its death knell. And may the day be not far off when America shall proclaim her emancipation from the basest of all servitudes, the subservience to prejudice. After feeling reasonably sure of success, I have often thought that my good treatment was due, in a measure, to a sort of apprehension on the part of the cadets that, when I should come to exercise command over them, I would use my authority to retaliate for any ill-treatment I had suffered. I have thought this the case with those especially who have been reared in the principles of prejudice, and often in none other, for prejudices, it is well known, are the most difficult to eradicate from the heart whose soil has never been loosened or fertilized by education. They grow there as firm as weeds among rocks. When the time did come, and I proved by purely gentlemanly conduct that it was no harder, no more dishonorable to be under me than under others, this reserve vanished to a very great extent. I might mention instances in which this is evident. At practical engineering one day, three of us were making a gabion. One was putting in the watling, another keeping it firmly down, while I was preparing it. I had had some instruction on a previous day as to how it should be made, but the two others had not. When they had put in the watling to within the proper distance of the top, they began trimming off the twigs and butt-ends of the widths. I happened to turn toward the gabion, and observed what they were doing. In a tone of voice, and with a familiarity that surprised my own self, I exclaimed, Oh, don't do that. Don't you see if you cut those off before sewing, the whole thing will come to pieces? Secure the ends first, and then cut off the twigs. They stopped working, listened attentively, and one of them replied, Yes, that would be the most sensible way. I proceeded to show them how to sew the watling and to secure the ends. They were classmates. They listened to my voluntary instruction and followed it without a thought of who gave it, or any feeling of prejudice. At foot battery drill one day I was chief of peace. After a time the instructor rested the battery. The cannoneers at my piece, instead of going off and sitting down, gathered around me and asked questions about the nomenclature of the piece and its carriage. What is this? What is it for? And many others. They were third classmen. Certainly there was no prejudice in this. Certainly, too, it could only be due to good conduct on my part. And here is another. Just after taps on the night of July 12, 1876, while lying in my tent studying the stars, 
I happened to overhear a rather angry conversation concerning my unfortunate self. It seems the cadet speaking had learned beforehand that he and myself would be on duty a few days hence, myself as senior and he as junior officer of the guard. His chums were teasing him on his misfortune of being under me as junior, which act caused him to enter into a violent panegyric upon me. He began by criticizing my military aptitude and the manner in which I was treated by the authorities, that is, by the cadet officers, as is apparent from what follows. That nigger, said he, don't keep dressed. Sometimes he's way ahead of the line. He swings his arms and does other things not half as well as other devils, and yet he's not skinned for it. What a severe comment upon the way in which the file-closers discharge their duties! Severe, indeed, it would be, were it true. It is hardly reasonable, I think, to suppose the file-closers, in the face of prejudice and the probability of being cut, would permit me to do the things mentioned with impunity, while they reported even their own classmates for them. And here again we see the fox and sour grapes. The gentleman who so honored me with his criticism was junior to me in every branch of study we had taken, up to that time, except in French. I was his senior in tactics by, well, to give the number of files would be to specify him too closely and make my narrative too personal. Suffice it to say, I ranked him, and I rather fancy, as I did not gain that position by favoritism but by study and proficiency, he should not venture to criticize. But so it is all through life, at West Point, as well as elsewhere. Malcontents are ever finding faults in others which they never think of discovering in themselves. When the time came, the detail was published at parade, and next day we duly marched on guard. When I appeared on the general parade in full dress, I noticed mischievous smiles on more than one face, for the majority of the corps had turned out to see me. I walked along, proudly unconscious of their presence. Although I went through the ceremony of guard-mounting without a single blunder, I was not at all at ease. I inspected the front rank, while my junior inspected the rear. I was sorely displeased to observe some of the cadets change color as they tossed up their pieces for my inspection, and that they watched me as I went through that operation. Some of them were from the South, and educated to consider themselves far superior to those of whom they once claimed the right of possession. I know it was to them most galling, and although I fully felt the responsibility and honor of commanding the guard, I frankly and candidly confess that I found no pleasure in their apparent humiliation. I am, as a matter of course, opposed to prejudice, but I nevertheless hold that those who are not have just as much right to their opinions on the matter as they would have to any one of the various religious creeds. We in free America at least would not be justified in forcing them to renounce their views or beliefs on race and color any more than those on religion. We can sometimes, by so living that those who differ from us in opinion respecting anything can find no fault with us or our creed, influence them to a just consideration of our views, and perhaps persuade them unconsciously to adopt our way of thinking. And just so it is, I think, with prejudice. There is a certain dignity in enduring it which always evokes praise from those who indulge it, and also often discovers to them their error and its injustice. 
knowing that it would be unpleasant to my junior to have to ask my permission to do this or that and not wishing to subject him to more mortification than was possible i gave him all the latitude i could telling him to use his own discretion and that he need not ask my permission for anything unless he chose this simple act forgotten almost as soon as done was in an exceedingly short time known to every cadet throughout the camp and i had the indescribable pleasure some days after of knowing that by it i had been raised many degrees in the estimation of the corps nor did this knowledge remain in camp it was spread all over the point the act was talked of and praised by the cadets wherever they went and their conversations were repeated to me many times by different persons when on guard again i was the junior and of course subject to the orders of the senior he came to me voluntarily and in almost my own words gave me exactly the same privileges i had given my junior who was a chum of my present senior in view of the ostracism and isolation to which i had been subjected it was expected that i would be severe and use my authority to retaliate when however i did a more christian act did to others as i would have them do to me and not as they had sometimes done i gave cause for a similar act of goodwill which was in a degree beyond all expectation accorded me indeed while we are all prone to err we are also very apt to do to others as they really do to us if they treat us well we treat them well if badly we treat them so also i believe such to be in accordance with our nature and if we do not always do so our failure is due to some influence apart from our better reason if we do not treat them well or our first impulse if we do if now on the contrary i had been severe and unnecessarily imperious because of my power i should in all probability have been treated likewise and would have fallen and not have risen in the estimation of the cadets end of chapter ten part two recording by james k white chula vista